time for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. Welcome to episode 342 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This week, we wrap up our coverage of San Diego Comic-Con 2018. And we have two great chats, if you will. The first one is with Helga Vogt, who does a book called Alisic from Titan Comics. I got to chat with him about the book and about different parts of the comics universes. I think you'll enjoy this great book. Then everything wraps up this week with a press conference from Rick Reminder regarding Deadly Class, among other things, the comic that is now becoming a show on sci-fi as well. A word of warning, Mr. Reminder is explicit, as we like to call it, so be prepared to hear words that you might not hear on this podcast normally. But he talks about a lot of the aspects about creating comics as well as the show, which he's making resemble the book as much as possible. There's a lot to get to in this episode, so let's get on with the show. I am now talking with... Helge Vogt. You say that much better than I ever could, I'm sure. And I want to talk about your book from uh, Titan Entertainment. I believe it's called Alisic? Yeah, it's Alisic or whatever. I mean, oh, well, yeah. What's the proper pronunciation? I think Alisic because it's like um, it's like the, the smaller for, uh, form of Alisa. And um, like if you... Yeah, a small Alisa is like Alisic in Russian. It's, it's ah, like this. Okay. But it's uh, more or less um, only... I thought it's clever to take a name like that that you google it and find it uh, really fast but um, in the end there's also a Turkish singer songwriter oh. and you have a lot of uh, funny videos at YouTube and yeah it's uh, not so easy to um, to find because he's quite popular there I think well, maybe you can have him do a soundtrack for your yeah <laughs> would be really um, fitting I think you, you know you have this uh, cemetery and then there's like uh, funny Turkish music yeah Sounds fitting. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you give people a brief description of what the book's about? Okay. Um, so, Alisic uh, is the name of the heroine. Hero, heroine? Yeah, the lead female. The lead female character, yeah. So, she wakes up one day, but um, there's one problem. She's dead, and there's another problem. Um, she cannot remember anything. So, But she's not alone. So, there are a lot of different guys there on the cemetery as well. But they are all from other centuries or other time periods so this is really funny because she's the only one who knows like television or mobile phones or whatever and the others also talk a bit different and um, she brings um, yeah you can say life into the world of the death and um, funny or the interesting part uh, of the cemetery is that um, there there's like the Mr. Grimm and he decides if these guys on the cemetery uh, will come to heaven or hell and um, they they seem to um, they have to um, maybe they have something uh, made, uh, made something bad so you don't know yet what they made so it's not decided yet and yeah, and Alisic um, cannot remember, but everyone knows. Also, the reader, she has done something bad, maybe, or not as bad as to uh, they they come to um, to hell as soon as possible. But um, they have to decide. So, and there's another part. So this is one part. The other part is that she falls in love with a guy uh, who is alive but he cannot see, he's blind, and he thinks she's like the normal girl, but uh, wonders, oh, it's, it's strange that I, uh, that I meet you every time uh, by night and on the cemetery, and she comes up with a nice, um, yeah, <laughs> she comes up with some, some uh, crap, let's say it like this, and it's really funny, I think. 
well, it's really touching on many levels. The, the thing that's interesting is, is they're waiting to decide whether they're going to go to heaven or hell, but they don't know what they've done. So they're in this terrible limbo, not knowing what's going on, but, this, the, but the, the person who's going to make that decision doesn't seem to tell them that. But eventually they're going to remember this stuff, right? Yeah, it's, um, it takes some time. The others uh, remember the stuff, and that's why they are also quite um, happy with the situation, because they know, oh, I, I've done something not so great, and maybe it's better to stay here than to go to hell. So they don't want to change the, the situation. And Alicia comes now and wants to change. They, uh, she wants to know, what have I done? I don't want to be here. I don't... You are all old guys and I'm the um, yeah, young girl and I want to do other stuff but um, like I said she brings some life into all the, uh, the whole cemetery so also the other ghosts go out now they, um, it's permitted to go out but uh, they do nevertheless As, uh, for example there's a really funny situation they go into a bar for example and uh, start to dance or they sing and they go shopping in the mall and do all this stuff and uh, bring some really uh, yeah, strange, spooky situations into the life of the living. What I really like is the fact that they can still touch stuff even though you can't see them. You, the, the one time there's a light that comes out and you see all the clothes hanging yeah. in the air because obviously they're trying them on and trying what's going on with it. It's little things like that that make this thing a real pleasure. I really get to enjoy it because the, all these little contrasts that go on. I mean, the, the older ghosts, are they look a little less attractive, shall yeah, I say. You can say so, yeah. And then but with her, she looks very beautiful as far as that goes. And I, I just wondered, does that change over time in, your, in this, this book? Or, or is, that, is she always going to look like that? No, um, this is not like this uh, gruesome comic uh, where, like, uh, um, I don't know, like... Uh, like brain dead or something like an ear or the eye falls into the pudding or something and the no it uh, she stays beautiful and this is also interesting because everyone you can see um, what he's done a little bit uh, on the outside so for example there's the guy the general and he has like um, a hole into his um, in the stomach and there's another guy like a priest and he has fire on his head so maybe he has he has burned something down or something yeah you know mm -hmm. so um, and she she looks quite normal so maybe she's uh, she has done something different uh, that you cannot see can we be sure that that's her name because my understanding is is when she wakes up the, the headstone has the name on it are we certain that's her name or could there could, could there be some other change going on Yeah, it is her name, um, but it's a bit different because uh, there's also no last name and stuff. And this is, yeah, um, the reason will be will come up in one of the later issues. Now, you're the co-writer as well as the artist, right? Yeah, sure. So, uh, how, as a co-writer, what does that mean? Do you get to give your input, or does the writer have final say? How does that work? Um, in our case, it was like that. Uh, we worked I, with Hubertus. I worked together at Disney. We uh, made some like a really beautiful, also uh, like a girl story. But it was also really happy, funny, bubblegummy. And uh, for example, we wanted to uh, let the girl like um, be angry when she's uh, sad or something. But uh, no, she has to um, cry or something like that. Or for example we wanted her yeah I don't know she has uh, is in bad mood okay she's a teenager so, uh, so she takes a cigarette no that was not possible that was uh, yellow uh, not yellow it was a pink bubble gum after that she, they wanted to change and then um, during this process I wanted to do something really different and started to um, paint for myself another kind of girl I wanted this uh, not, not gruesome but a bit darker girl like a bit gothic but uh, in a in a good way and uh, yeah so I started this stuff and as an animation I had this, this idea about like a cemetery with um, some funny ghosts but also a bit spooky but not too much and with a positive vibe um, 
inspired also by Japanese stuff, for example Miyazaki, like Mononoke, like um, stuff like this. Not um, as gruesome, for example, as Tim Burton, like uh, there are a lot of worms and uh, spiders and stuff. Here are more like um, elegant cats or stuff like this, a bit more positive or more poetic maybe, I don't know. So yeah, I came up with, it, with, uh, with this idea, but um, it's really complicated to do an animation. You can find some of my animations uh, at my YouTube channel. Um, yeah, but uh, to come up with a whole movie or like a short movie, it's really complicated. And so Hubertus uh, saw my stuff and he said, okay, let's do a comic out of it. And so I was, yeah, let's go, let's do it. Now, people are going to get to your YouTube channel, especially in America. They might have trouble finding your name and knowing how it's spelled. Why don't you go ahead and spell it for folks? Okay, everything I do is normally Trickwelt. So this yeah, means like a word uh, out of whatever, of drawings or something like that, a word. Yeah, so it's T-R-I-C-K-W-E-L-T. And this is my uh, Twitter, YouTube, um, Instagram and okay. Facebook. Yeah. All right, now you had two issues come out and then you had there was a collected edition yeah and it obviously doesn't end there sure do you know how many issues you have planned yeah um, these are all out in German and uh, also in France and um, it's four four collected issues and it's uh, the first one is fall so after that um, naturally comes the winter then the spring and what's the first uh, the fourth one summer no it's <laughs> it's dead because uh, yeah because they go to the land of the dead in this issue so you can imagine what's happening but um, yeah um, I don't want to sp uh, spoil too much but I like the the last issue the most because there I can go really crazy uh, also in the second one you, you have some some stuff in the first issue also you see some of the ghosts and but in the second one there comes uh, one creature uh, one bad creature from the land of the dead and um, this starts to be a bit more um, aggressive or more actiony and yeah but the fourth issue is is really nice I really like it yeah well, I really like the artwork. As I mentioned about how much I like the, the, the design of the characters. But I think the backgrounds and stuff, too, are really creative. I think, you know, it, it's really engaging. You, you, when I started to read it, I just got lost into it that way because it was this really interesting little, sometimes little circles going around and sometimes things were, were very neat and other times they weren't quite so neat looking. So I was very interested in, in all that. See, when you're a writer and an artist, I'm always puzzling over which comes first. Do you start drawing and then the story comes, or do you write the story and then you start putting the art with it? How do you do it? Yeah, in this case, like I said, uh, first, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, uh, I appreciate it. Um, and in my case, it was like I said, I um, yeah, I first started to paint this girl, but then we came up with okay, mm, she has to have some friends, but different friends. So it was uh, more or less at the same time, maybe. But um, but it's, I mean, the character design is um, really bold part in my work and also the colors and the backgrounds so it's um, it's often also like I want to for example um, I came up with this idea for the different issues because I wanted to have difference uh, in my paintings when I have um, the cemetery it's it's fall okay but I don't want to have the same uh, mood every issue so I came up with this idea okay we have to uh, split them we have to do it one year so I can paint everything I can paint like uh, this um, blossom trees and uh, such uh, stuff in, in the springtime and also like um, how cool is it to have like the dead people um, a party like Christmas or like uh, Sylvester, like New New Year's Eve, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, or Halloween. In the first issue, you see Halloween. In the second, it's more like the the Christmas stuff, and in the third, it's um, also like uh, let me think, it's yeah summer stuff. Also like um, swim, go swimming and stuff, and also like yeah, what you do in the winter time and yeah, yeah all like that. Talk about the, the Reuben who is blind, because that's another interesting twist to me. You know, the fact that he's blind and everybody, the ghosts are constantly asking him, can you see us? And the truth is because he's blind, he can't, but, on, but he can hear them. And yeah. I just thought that was such a creative twist to do that way, because, you know, yeah. they can interact, 
but they don't necessarily know about each other in that way. And I thought that was so, you know, such a nice idea. Did you come up with that idea? How did that happen? Yeah, I cannot remember, um, but I think it's really a good idea here. <laughs> uh, because um, also interesting, we, we weren't quite... Um, Uh, quite sure if it's possible to fall in love with uh, a girl if you cannot see her because our world is so uh, yeah you know um, dr uh, driven by uh, what you look like or something like that especially for the youth so uh, we weren't quite sure but there's also like I don't know if it's an issue one but it's really funny like Ru Ruben has his own um, picture of Alisic in mind and says oh I don't know Uh, I don't uh, want to know. Oh, you don't. You don't have to tell me how you look. I know it exactly. You are blonde and you are. Uh, you have um, blue eyes, and she's. But she looks uh, completely different. Yeah. So, see, that was a. But what about the blind business? I mean, that was. I did not expect that at all. I was very surprised when I found out he was blind. I mean, that that to me is really something. I. And then there's a little. There are interludes that you do in between, where I think you're kind of explaining why he can see them. There's medical stuff going on. He was apparent. Was he in an accident or something? And it kind of altered the way his brain functions. Yeah, um, I cannot say too much because I have to. Yeah, I can spoil maybe that everything. Um, yeah, is uh, like um, it's one thing. You know. So maybe also the cemetery and Alisic and the others or Mr. Grimm or whoever has something to do with that. So it's. Um, Yeah, and also with the dead, with Alizic maybe. So I don't want to spoil too much. Yeah, but um, it's it's one uh, one part of the secret. Okay. I have to say. Plus, you're going to unfold the story as you go along. You're, yeah. you're, you're telling all the different layers yeah. and planning over. Yeah. So for us, it's also really important to have this. Um, you know, the ghosts only come out when it's night. So we have this. But I don't want it to paint always black and only stars and stuff. So we wanted this split um, in between. So we have um, the dark pages. That means this is the land of the dead. And we have the white pages. This is the land of the um, living. And so you will see that um, in, the land of the, in the land of the dead, the people are more happy and more um, gentle or nice than the living ones. And this is also an um, interesting twist, I think, because I said, um, in, in my case, also the, the monster that comes in issue two um, has something melancholic or sad. And I don't want it to be like black and white, not like it's a zombie and it's only bad. But it has something like, um, yeah, sad or melancholic, like I said. So, but there's only these guys, um, the, like the human guys who lost their humanity, maybe. And I also wanted a bit of criticism, maybe, I don't know. You can read it like this, that they only want like business and money and, um, yeah, they are the baddest guys, so. Now, you mentioned that you paint it, and I'm just sort of curious, are you physically painting it and then scanning it, or do you paint it on the computer? How do you do that? Uh, both. So, uh, in most of the pages, it's like um, pencils, and then uh, scanned and uh, colors in Photoshop, but um, the further the issues go, the more I use also acrylic, and also if you see the chapter pages there, I try really different styles, and they are often like acrylic um, yeah, canvas paintings, or um, like a watercolor, or whatever. Yeah, I, I made a lot, and this is really cool if you do your creator-owned more or less uh, stuff you can yeah you are in in the end you're an artist and you don't want to do the same stuff over and over again so you you yeah. try try you yeah like um i think you know uh, i work on it and think oh it would be so cool or i, uh, I uh, saw something and um thought about okay i have to do something like this yeah okay do it in alisic so why not mm -hmm. that's very good now You've got the first two issues of Crown. You mentioned it's just available also in German and French, right? Yeah. Are the last two issues completed? Have you done those already? Yeah, they are all finished. So, um, yeah, I hope they will be released soon also in the U.S. So buy it, buy it, buy it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I love the look of it. I think it's just a great thing. And it's a very touching story, like I was saying. I was really touched by her, you know, the fact that she's she's new to it just like we are, and we kind of empathize with what she's going through. The other folks are busy trying to explain it to her, but she doesn't quite get it, just like we wouldn't probably quite get it in that situation. And, of course, like, I love the also the, the idea of adding life to a dead situation like that. And she's still dead, but it's adding a little more vitality to what they're doing. So I think that's just great. But uh, so are the German and the French versions out already? Yeah, they are out. Yeah, we won also a prize in, or two prizes in French in Angoulême. There was something and uh, another. I, I'm not quite sure what it was because uh, I'm not so um, into the French business. But uh, yeah, it's it's out and uh, yeah, I I hope we like I said it's. It will be released soon here. I'll be good because I, I haven't seen them here. I just all I saw were the first two and then a the combined. Yeah. So we got two more to go and then it's going to combine again. Uh, I think so. We have to ask the publisher, but I think this is the, the way um, you publish also comics in the U.S., right? You have the yeah, it depends. Mm-hmm. If there's an, uh, enough demand, they will go back and, and publish it. Like there was a book called The Hedge Knight. They put it out, and the, the popularity picked up, and so they went back and combined the first couple of issues into one big book. And that's what you kind of done. You're taking the first two issues and put them in there, which is good. It, it helps people catch up. You know, you, by the time the next issues come out, we, we already know what the story is. So that's a good way to do it. Yeah, yeah. For me, it was also cool to have it, uh, this different format. I think it's the most, the biggest format in Germany. For example, we we've gone um, smaller, and uh, I was also one of the guys who said, "Okay, let's do it smaller," uh, because I wanted a really low price. I thought it's good to have a lot of readers, but uh, in the end, um, you want it in big. Like you said, there are so many details and. Every page was uh, yeah so much uh, so much work and now uh, I think it's the biggest version in France. It's also quite big and uh, really a beautiful issue with like spot like uh, spot spot varnish and um, yeah uh, foil and whatever. But um, but this one I, I really like also the collector's issue. So yeah I'm on, and I'm also like that it's like uh, the other comics published in the US that we have like variant covers. This is also really nice. All right, so when those come out, we'll, we'll try to keep an eye. We'll have to keep up with, uh, with Titan to find out when those are going to come out. Are they going to collect all four into one big volume? Uh, no, but um, I think uh, in Germany, at least, they wanted to do one collector's issue again, and uh, but they wanted to do like um, something to put it in. I also like the one big book. that would be also great for me. I really like this, but I can imagine that it's, uh, I don't know, if you read in the bed or something, you, you don't want this heavy stuff but um, I mean uh, the collector's issue for example has uh, 112 at least comic pages or something so you have at the end you have 400 pages of stuff uh, of comics so maybe it's too big the book I don't know yeah I love a big story so I'll be fine with me but so are there other projects you're working on we should know about uh, yes and no. Uh, not what what you uh, what you should know about. I I work on stuff. Yeah, um, it was a bit complicated because I started something like um, as a writer also, and then I've got like um, yeah, there was like a really good offer, um, and I I had to do this one. But uh, in the end, it's not quite sure if this one uh, turns out good now. So maybe I start, or I, I uh, already started like the third uh, comic project now, and uh, at the same time. And I don't know if the others will come to life. But um, that's why it needs some more time, I think. Well, Titan does, if, if Titan does it, they can bring it over here. Do you like it when they translate into different languages? Yeah, for sure. It's it's the best. I mean, uh, to be here, for example. Yeah, I mean, uh, for us um, in Germany, we have some comic cons, but these are like uh, yeah, like a copycat. Or it's um, if you, for example, I was in the artist alley now. Yeah, and in Germany, artist alley means okay, it looks like this. It's a really small table. You have not so much space, but they are like this hobby guys and here are the biggest guys in the business and they have all this and like the small table like in Germany but the really big names and I need like hours to go uh, to cook uh, to look at all the 
great stuff there. And also the other the other stuff is really big, um, like yeah, a bit more like a pop business. In Germany, you have of, uh, often the feeling that it's um, it's so small and uh, nobody cares so much. But here, like uh, you know, the crowd here, yeah. So it's it's also exhausting and whatever. But um, I'm really happy to be here. Are you planning any more visits to the U.S. in the future? Um, if Titan uh, wants me, then I'm I'm for it. I, I mean, maybe New York Comic Con or something. I don't know. Uh, it has to fit also with the dates, I think, of the publishing. And this was uh, quite perfect because uh, the volume is like two weeks old or something, or one week, I don't know. So it was perfect, yeah. Great. Now, when I first started to talk with you, you were talking about the fact you were at the beach. Yeah. That was one of the benefits of coming to San Diego is you get to go to the beach. I mean, how often did you get to go there? Uh, you mean uh, by now? Uh, yeah, like, well, during the convention. Oh, that's the first time. But um, I heard like these stories. I only, or maybe, maybe someone told me, or I uh, googled it, or something. Uh, I saw like pictures of of sharks, and you can swim with them. And this sounded so great to me. I had to do it. But uh, unfortunately, that was the the wrong beach. I was uh, with the seagulls, but this is nevertheless fantastic. I mean, I was swimming there, and they looking at us and swimming there as well so really great yeah well I hope you get to enjoy that some more and you know have a great safe trip back to Germany and, and I love your accent by the way I, I love different accents and stuff I used to actually I don't hear this I, I think of uh, speaking just... perfectly English I don't know <laughs> well I love it so don't whatever you do cause I, okay. I, the reason I say that is because there was a guy I, I, I used to interact with who had an Irish brogue okay. and he worked at Disney funny you mentioned Disney it was in Florida and what he did they told him to lose the accent and I told him don't do it it's too beautiful hang on to it it's really you know people will <laughs> people will understand if you could do it yeah. but that's with yours I did you know don't whatever you do hang on to that beautiful accent it's great I don't know isn't it in, in the US that you uh, think of uh, bad guys when you hear the <laughs> German accent like actually it's British accents so we think of bad guys really but also the German ones or Ah, sometimes like not World as much War II or something and oh oh yeah that guys, definitely yeah. yeah but you know it, the, the, but that was a long time ago now so uh, I think the, we, if you watch James Bond or something they're always British you know, British, British yeah accent. sometimes Russian but I think German is also really common right I like when people speak in a different way because I, I, if we all talk like the same, it's, what fun is that? So anyway, I, I just think it's great. I mean, you know, it's good Thank to talk you. with you, and I'm wishing much success with that. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure, and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy. You all enjoy Alisic, and yeah, give it a chance. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne, as a man. I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Marcus, are you satisfied with your life? What if I told you there's a home for people like you? A school where you'd be surrounded by your peers to master the deadly arts. Primarily, I train creative problem solvers. Every opponent has a weakness. Pick a partner, find theirs. Deadly class. That to me is is in a, a huge part of also what we do in animation and comic books, in in you know, uh, page count or what, what what you can't expect you know an artist to draw a crowd scene page after page you know like any of the limitations and things and so, I am creatively stimulated by it and um, being able to to see the art come together and actually make what's kind of a a dream come true in terms of making a TV show that's an authentic snapshot of not just the teen experience, but my particular teen experience and the people that I knew growing up, and to also then blanket it in the music of my generation and maybe gift that to another generation who didn't know about it. People who might think punk rock is, you know, the offspring or Ville Levine, whatever her fucking name was. Yeah. <laughs> Shitbox Magoo, whatever that fucking garbage dump of a person sang, singing about skater boys with a Z bullshit. Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne. Thank you. Whatever that asshole's bullshit name is, 
whatever, whatever. But but that generation who saw punk rock is just an exploited Blink One Eighty Two song about masturbation. Um, maybe they'll they'll hear the soundtrack and be turned on to things. I know that everybody in the office, all the millennial kids, are just like crazy for it now. They're playing the toy dolls and the addicts and running around listening to Agent Orange and and the Dead Milkmen and the Cure and the Smiths and New Order. That just plays in the office all the time. And so to me, I remember in 1985, 86, we were, we had a half pipe and we were skating it, and a buddy of mine brought the Stand by Me soundtrack, and. We all loved that movie, but we, you know, the 50s music, we were just unexposed. You know, maybe your parents played some of it. And I remember hearing Buddy Holly and just being like, Buddy Holly's fucking incredible. Like, uh, and then just fell in love. I went down a rabbit hole and found, you know, all of these various things. And that led to, like, rock and roll history down to Muddy Waters, you know, like it just... So hopefully it, it'll, it'll do that to a generation that lost rock and roll um, it, because rock and roll to them seemed like it was, you know, some guy from Disturbed with a long goatee, you know, or whatever bullshit was being sold to them. Um, so that part of it is a real treat to be able to take the things that inform me and speak to my soul and have made me an artist and, and, and make art with them and, and on a television show. Um, so I would, I would certainly, yeah, show run something again if I had the, and, and I've got another thing in development, so I'll probably have to, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real treat, and I, I hope to make really great art with it so that everybody who's entrusted me with it is rewarded as well. I almost hate to ask, but with the comic, do you have an end point in mind, or are you just kind of going along as, as it happens? Um, I have just a bucket of endless ideas, you know, I, I would hate to, ex, you know, express any of them uh, too, too much on a point, but, um, you know, again, I think in the book right now we're entering into 1989, there's a lot of years between now and 1989, there's a lot of scenes, there's a lot of music, there's a lot of, a lot of you know, political things that we can dig into, there's a, a lot of engine there for those kids if they, you know, as, as, as the as the young adults and students of, of you know King's Dominion uh, climb climb their way through life, I have a shit ton of stories there. So this, you know, I, I don't think I would do the book without Wes. So it really is going to come down to to sort of how long we can you know keep Wes drawing the same thing because as an artist it is a bigger commitment. You know, I can go off and write you know a couple couple four things, and Wes lives and breathes Deadly Class. You know, he might do some covers, but this is a commitment where, and again, you know, you can never reiterate it enough. Um, we're here because of Wes. I'm here because of Wes. I'm here because of Wes's commitment to the book. I'm here because Wes sits down every single day and draws a page or two of Deadly Class. And, um, you know, I do my very best to honor that and write to the best of my ability with the most philosophy and heart that I can pour into the, to the comics. But, um, you know, uh, moving forward, there is an unlimited amount of stories in, uh, as long as Wes is still willing to draw them. Uh, at some point, The Walking Dead... TV show almost caught up with a comic. Kirkman had to release two comics a month. Are you nervous at all that at some point maybe the TV show will eventually catch up to the comic and you might have to do something like that? If that's the worst problem I've got to look at <laughs> in the girl of, I'll take it. Um, the good news is, is that, you know, as somebody who is, you know, um, um, very, very involved with both of them and creating both of them. Uh, if I hit that problem, I have an outline and that if the show overshoots the comic book, then I guess we'd be at season six of the show. So, hey, future me, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> and with that being said, you're working on the TV show, you have an extra project that's coming in, Lowe's coming out and all this. Is it hard to juggle three or four comics at this point with two shows or uh, one show and a secret project that I guess we're not going to mention currently. Secret <laughs> project. Is it hard to be juggling all these things now that? No, it's, it's easy. Coming? Everything's everything's fine. <laughs> I'm great. <laughs> Plenty of time for myself. Uh, no, I mean I'm a fucking train wreck. I, I work. I work from I work from you know seven in the morning and, and until midnight. I, I but I love it. I'm a sick person. I I can't I can't you know I love it. I, I've got I've got a bug. I've got a bug that will kill me. You know that's the old quote. The, the old quote: "Find what you love and let it kill you." And so I'm letting this kill me. Um, but it's 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 so much fun. It's just so much fun. Every step of this, as hard as it is, it's very gratifying. It's it's exciting. Um, you know, I still love making comics. I still love when a comic book comes out. I still love seeing them. The newest issue of Death or Glory um, when Bengal. Uh, and I put it to bed and it came out and I and it saw print, uh, you know, I still take a, a minute to like, take a go, hey, you, know, you made some art and look at it and look at what Bengal did and feel, and I feel like such a sense of pride because, you know, the, uh, 
I think that we've made something really special with all of these books. The same with, you know, when you see the new issue, what Jerome has been working on. Jerome is now spending, like, sometimes five days on a page on, on Seven to Eternity. And so it's still a, 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 just a huge goddamn privilege and joy to be able to write stories for that caliber of artist and then to have people pay a, a, a ticket price to take the ride with you. I mean, that is something that I'll never take for granted. And so uh, where, where do I hit the wall? I don't know. Uh, for, for now, I'm, 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 writing, I'm writing a feature. I've got another one of my things being filmed for a feature that hasn't been announced. Uh, I've got another show in development, and I've got, uh, you know, Deadly Class, which we're doing, which is, you know, going to be a TV show in 2019. And so the comic books, when I get home at night, I go down to my, my, my basement and I open the comics and I, I work on those until I basically fall asleep at the computer. And then I get up and go to the office and then I do that seven days a week and I just don't take any time off. Like this is, coming to Comic-Con is going to fuck my schedule. <laughs> like it is. Oh, like four, day, four days off of work for Comic-Con, I come back, that's four days of, you know, minus 16 hours of the day. Like, you know, I'll... I'll Black science will be late. <laughs> well, you heard it here. Um, you talk a ton about about music and growing up in that era. You know, I'm I've come from that era of reading liner notes and finding out yeah, what band think what band to totally. find a new band, totally. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you kind of hope that in some ways this show will be like the mixtape for another generation of kids? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it, the you know, look. Uh, all I know is that there was so much great music that seemed to it just disappeared. You know, the Generation X culture was just disappeared. Um, so if 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 uh, you know, if a new generation hear this and it, they react the same way as the as the younger as the younger people in the office do, where the when they hear Agent Orange, they're like, "What the fuck is this?" And when they hear the toy, toy dolls, or when they hear a, you know a bad religion song, you know, uh, "Fuck Armageddon, this is hell." And we're like seeing like what the pe faces light up, like what the fuck is going on? And you're like, yeah, you know, people used to play instruments and sing about really like you know you know personal things or political things, and you know like that was what that music was honest and it was kids you know from from the birth of what really took off as hip-hop from the birth of what really took off as punk it's poor kids talking about their circumstances and making their own fucking scene and and i think that we need more of that i think we need more in terms of artistic movements and music and all of these things is to reignite the spirit of do it yourself quit looking for quick fame on youtube you know all of these hollow goddamn investments that we've all fallen into on this digital world. And if somebody, if, 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 if a handful of, 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 of 24 year old kids find that stuff and they, and they hear a damned album and it makes them start a band and pick up a bass and a guitar and a, and a set of drums and they actually make music, that's fucking amazing because that's what happened to me. That's why I'm here, you know, is that scene hearing Ian MacKay talk in, in another state of mind. Uh, you know, and realizing that like there was other people that didn't see much value in misogyny or beer or or driving a Camaro. You know, <laughs> um, hearing people talk about that when I was you know growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, it was just I was it was like a mutant who had crawled into my brain and expressed my thoughts back at me, and I didn't feel alone anymore. And art, at its highest form, makes people identify and feel not alone. And I think that, you know, that's what guys like, you know, Henry Rollins and the Bad Brains and all the, you know, and, and, and Jack and TSOL and all those bands, that's what they gave me. And they gave me the spirit of doing it myself no matter what, to the point where no matter how many good cushy jobs I've had, I can't be comfortable taking a corporate job and pushing things down the field. I have to go and, and make my own shit and do it myself. Is there music that's coming out like now where you're like, oh shit, those guys are doing it right? Like different for sure, but it's like a, it's it's not there's nothing aggressive. I mean, like that's not true. There's like a lot of good metal, and I think that like um, lately it's. But uh, you know, I, if I if I went through it, it was you know the 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 instrumental stuff, the Tame Impalas, the the you know Health is making a lot of great music. There's a lot of great like you know like noise rock and and and, and electronic music. But I don't hear, and it's also maybe a symptom of being a 45-year-old guy. And I go to Twitter all the time, and I go, what's the punk rock you guys are making? And um, the Henry Rollins promoted the Savages, and they're great. And, you know, there, is, there are so many, but they feel, like, scattered, and there's not a scene anymore. I went and saw when Jawbreaker got back together, and they toured. I went to go see Jawbreaker. 
And, um, you know, uh, he got up there and he was just like, this is a guitar. He goes, and this is how we play music, you know, like, uh, and I, it was, I loved it because it's like, I don't know where that got lost. I don't know where rock and roll disappeared. I don't know where that became, you know, every generation since, since the, the, the 50s has had their version of it and then it disappeared. And I think that there's something about it that, that I think that, that, that we're lacking. And so in terms of what, what's made now, I definitely dig up stuff and find there's, you know, I'm, I'm not old man barking at the clouds. I think that there's a lot of great music and I still buy a couple albums every week and I buy them. I don't pay, I don't Spotify them or get one of these $10 services. I pay for the album um, to try to support the artist and keep them working. But I think that it, 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 if the heart of what inspired the DIY 80s from hip hop to punk to goth to, to metal to any of those things could be reignited, and I don't think that it's thinly laundered. It's not like a self-praise. I'm not saying my generation was right. Every generation looks at the next generation. And, you know, it's the same way that we looked at the boomers and the hippies. And we said, you know, you fucking be, you know, come on, people now, fuck you. Then, you know, we had our, we, 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 the, the pendulum swings, right? And so the hippies were all about peace and I mean, love. There's a seven seconds song about it. Like, yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah. succeed where the hippies failed. That's then, right. Then they and, and we also felt <laughs> and then in bad religion have a song about you know empty empty causes and every yeah. generation has their causes and they're like we're the this and we're going to change that and the pendulum just went this way and I, I i would like to see you know i know i've raised my kids on punk rock right you know and i know a lot of Currently other people know, you know like my, my my son's favorite you know bands are bad bad religion and the descendants you know he he just wanted to and, and i didn't push it i was just listening to it and he just loves it <laughs> So maybe that generation comes back and picks up guitars and starts making fuck you music again, you know? Like, we because can only hope. <laughs> we need some fuck you music. We need some fuck you music. I feel like it's found more currently in hardcore rather than like in punk rock, because punk rock is just, the venues have died and shut down and sure. stuff like that, so it's, it's so hard, like you say, to find someone new when there's nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, but you, then you could get into like, you know, the line between what's hardcore and punk rock anymore because what you are probably referring to as punk rock was originally called hardcore, you know, yeah, like, like so. Minor like threat, circle jerks. Sure, sure, sure. You know, and then so like modern hardcore is, is probably quite different than what has now become punk rock. It's all just, you know, subsets of subsets of subsets. But in certain, in, you know, ultimately what you would hope is just, you would just hope that, you know, what I've seen is just like, well, like when I was exposed to different music is how, like what you said, you chase bands down, you go through the liner notes and you find new things. What I've been seeing with a lot of a, a lot of the people in the office and deadly class is just younger kids hearing stuff that they hadn't heard, you know, and, and loving it. So it's really just about exposure and where do you get that exposure? I think that the, the generational divide between millennials and Gen X aren't that aren't that great. I think that ultimately, like that, you know, there's a lot both generations share in common as opposed to you know sort of the boomers and the the silent generation before them, but. Uh, in, a, in a dream world, that, you know, we're selling a lot of these soundtracks and, and igniting a lot of people to, you know, find and, and love stuff, you know. Again, you know, um, in a dream world. But ultimately, if not, and I still got to make a TV show and make a soundtrack that I love. Out of sheer curiosity, you mentioned the toy dolls. What song do you use in this season with the toy dolls? <clears throat> um, I haven't picked the toy dolls song yet. Oh, okay. Yeah, there's the, we closed the pilot with the damned. And I don't want to tell you what song because you might think you know it, but you don't. Um, uh, uh, no, the the pilot has um, the Descendants, Agent Orange, uh, Sisters of Mercy, uh, the the Damned, uh, Too Short, um, uh, Killing Joke, N.W.A., a couple, few others, and I'm probably forgetting uh, uh, New Order. Uh, you got to mix some of that in there too. The only reason I ask, I just imagine like, someone like in a car going fast and listening to modern school motory by toy doll sure sure yeah yeah, yeah. Like just making it something funny and so yeah that's that. look i mean you know trying to uh, budgetarily how many songs we can fit in really comes into it <laughs> so like i'm just having to go through and i'm also trying to like score the show with the music so that it's not just me going like i gotta get this song in it's really about looking at the scene what is informing the scene and what the scene is about and then i go through my music collection and i'll and i'll spend you know days and days just listening to albums and find the song and the song is normally a deep cut off of an album that was not their big album but it's the right one for that scene um and so i i, I that's sort of the 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 methodology i'll be using moving forward as i as i kind of you know soundtrack the show is it weird having to deal with the rights situation on bands that like you know release the tape from the back of their van and scream fuck you to the government <laughs> 
No, because they, I want them paid. Right. They're older now, and they made music that, that changed my life, and I'd like them to get paid. So I don't see, like, in terms of that, it's, I'm very glad to put some money in, in the pockets, you know, um, and, you know and, and being able to, like, hire Henry Rollins and see him play a role and read your dialogue when, when you know, in 1988, his spoken word and his, his, his writing sort of changed your life and changed the trajectory of where you were headed. And, and so, um, and it's, it, for me, it's like, you know, we're looking at a lot of, you know, punk rock stunt casting and, you know, bringing the heroes in. And in terms of getting the, the you know, there's a lot, hip hop is the biggest problem because of the samples. So like there's an Eric B and Rakim song that I was just dying to put in and there's a Public Enemy song I was dying to put in. But you know, in 86, 87, the, you know, when, those, when those acts were first beginning, they were samples galore. Right. So you can't use it, but you know, NWA on that first album, NWA and the Posse have a bunch of things that are some of their familiar songs, but they were sample free. They were still just using, you know, Dre was using drum machines and it was pretty simplified. But um, I do like that, uh, I won't name the band, but a couple of the punk bands, the rights are owned by all the members. And so you have to go to all of them to get it. Uh, and I like that. That's awesome. Yeah, man. I like that that's still how that goes. Did you get like Henry Rollins in like a wig so he looked like he had long hair, black flag status? Or no, no, no. <laughs> it's, it's modern Henry playing oh, okay. a teacher, but there is a lot of cool stuff for him coming up too. I'm, I, it's, it's, yeah. I gotta. I can't talk about. It. <laughs> How does the violence compare, like, from the comic to the show? Because like Wes can make the violence look almost like beautiful, beautiful. and if you were to sure. literally translate it, it would almost be gratuitous. It would be gratuitous and it would be ugly. And, and so uh, one of the things I realized in developing the show is that I never want to see a gun in, in even in a military academy like King's. And so it was just a quick fix of like, well, Master Lin thinks guns are weak in the same way that Batman does. And so there are no guns in the school. He's training them. And it's so, you know, really when I go to the easiest comps, I go to it's as if Richard Linkletter made Kill Bill. So that it's a very character-driven story with a lot of heart. But then there's a heightened reality, heightened world, sort of, you know, uh, uh, assassin's school. But that all of the violence is born out of character. And that what we focus more on is instead of the big salacious action is the consequences to the kids coming out of it, which was the thing I wanted to make the book. You know, I was a victim of a lot of violence growing up and having seen people shot and killed and all of the things that I've witnessed. For me, the, the thing I wanted to explore was the effects that violence had on me. Probably, you know, um, to this day, you know, I, I'm st I, I still am waiting for something, sh some shit to go down. Um, in, a, in any crowded place, I go in and I'm like on, on, on edge and on nerve and like, where is this going to head? Where is this going to head? Because once you've seen, once those normal situations coming out of a movie theater and had, you know, three guys grab me and beat me near to death, um, you come out of a movie theater the rest of your life and you're ready for three guys to grab you and beat you near to death. And so the violence is, is, is um, it's, it's, heightened and you know it, it's still exciting and you still want to do those nice choreographed you know scenes of Saya doing flips and kicks and stuff but ultimately what's really interesting is to get in and figure out the um, ramifications of the violence and what it does to the human psyche and what it does to these 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 young people in, in, in the story how different is the comic is the TV show going to be from the comic book well not very I mean, you know, like I said, there's going to be fine-tuning because I think that, like you said, there's things in the book that Wes can make look beautiful, that when you see actual people doing them, uh, you, you feel hinky. Uh, so it's just about reconsidering a few of those things, you know, like making sure there's no, no guns in the school and that we never see anything like that. Um, but in the book, it's always been something where the violence is, you know, uh, born of born of character stuff, and ultimately the, the the more interesting aspect of it is the consequence of the violence and the characters and what happens to them. Um, Billy killing his dad is a couple pages in a book, but for me, the best part of that story is when Billy is on the run and he remembers his dad, you know, a few months later. And realizes that he, 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 all he ever, when his dad was alive, even though his dad was abusive and didn't love him, he, there, was, there was always a hope in Billy's heart that his dad might one day change his mind and love him. And now, that, that, now he never will. That's the part of the story that matters, not the part where they go and do the thing. So um, we are following the book. And, you know, that's been, that's, that's, 
that's been my intent from the beginning is to make sure that it doesn't get mutated into something that's unrecognizable. I think you're going to be watching the book on, on, on TV and you're going to be watching it with a great budget and people like, you know, Joe Russo who have a hand in making sure that it's A-level material. Um, but while also sort of having much more real estate and much, uh, you know, much more time to unpack it and really get full optics on who all these people are in a way that, you know, there's only one Wes Craig, so I can only I can only get him to draw so many pages. I don't want to be reductive of all the beautiful things you just said, but can we expect a hallway fight scene? I know there's become like these huge like beautiful moments in the Marvel and Netflix universe, and it's completely not a part of that. But maybe. There's a lot of look. There's a lot of heightened Kill Bill, like in the book. There's a there. It's an assassin school. I think that is long, but what we have challenged ourselves to do, as we did in the book, is anytime there's violence, it's indicative of something. I always go back to the scene where Marcus and Saya are in the graveyard, and, and he's dating Maria, and she is trying to help him not get killed. And all of a sudden, a cloaked figure shoots an arrow at him, and Saya catches it before it hits him. And then he chases the, the, the cloaked person and grabs it, and it's Maria. It's the, the, the jealousy issue in a, in a love triangle is then, is then magnified and made physical in the shooting of a bow and arrow. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's just taking those universal things that we all experienced and all of those understandable, relatable experiences and then just heightening that into a, a school for assassins because it's exciting and it's fun to see those, those, those fight sequences, provided there's a contextual reason for them and it's not salacious and stupid where we're just watching people beat each other. Like, again, the raid is great if you watch five minutes of the raid. Um, I get to a point with the raid where it's like white noise, you know? I'm like, okay, and he's breaking that guy's arm and I don't fucking know what to do here. So it's just a matter of making sure that all that stuff is there. It's exciting when it comes, but it's just little drips and drabs. What was the casting process like? I'm, I'm assuming you sat in on it and yeah. find the right... It's hard. It's hard. I mean, you know, we were months and months watching people read the sides and, and going through one option after another. And this person's better at this, and this is great here, and then you're going through this. And then um, some of them were just immediate hires right off the bat. First read, you're like, there we go. Uh, and so... But it was, um, you know, I think that the time and energy we put in and, you know, look, we had, you know, we had a lot of voices and we had, you know, Joe Russo and the team from uh, that he uses on Marvel uh, to do to do the casting for the Marvel movies, did the casting for Deadly Class. Like having Joe Russo means that you have all of Joe Russo and his and his Agwell company's resources and all of his years of experience and all the people that he uses. So we have been using his people and his people are all fantastic and so what we're getting is the is is top of the line greatness and so um it's it's um it's a hell of a lot of fun you know it really is to hear to hear really talented people bring that to life and to get all these various takes the hard part is then sort of you know sitting at a table like this with all of the you know producers and co-eps and everyone and trying to decide on on the right choice do we know uh how long the season like how many episodes I do, but I don't know if I'm allowed to say. That, that, that might be it, yeah. Okay. Normally, it's not like one season, one year. Because I, I, I don't like when, when things are rushed to fit in like a season. No, 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 no. Okay. We're, telling, we're, we're actually opening it up. Because the thing for me that I, I had just rewatched a bunch of Linkletter, I'd watched Days and Confused, and I'd rewatched uh, the Before Sunrise trilogy. And I love what Linkletter does with just character interaction and just intelligent human conversation where you're captivated and engrossed and there's nothing happening. There's no, there's no plot. There's no, and oh, we've lost that sort of, that's a big staple of a lot of Gen X. They say that Slackers is the, the quintessential Generation X movie. And so that's a big staple that I want to, you know, I put that in the book. It's been a big influence for me. I want to continue that through. And so to that end, we're just leaving giant pockets of just what happens there. You know, writer's choice. These three characters are, are in their dorm or walking through the hallways or smoking a joint or whatever, and they're talking. And so to that end, we've enabled it to land in a nice place. We've got, you know, we've got three seasons planned. God knows if we get to them, you know. Um, but I think that the, the real point of it is to make sure we don't rush and that you really love these kids and that you get a snapshot of the era in the same way Mad Men gave you a snapshot of the late 50s. So you, you talked about uh, writing going back and forth. When you're, and you also mentioned how you write very minimal sometimes for, for Wes. You just need to say a sentence and then he does it. When you're writing stuff now, are you also kind of thinking about should the show ever get to that point that maybe you might want to describe it a little differently? Um, no, I am, I am practicing 
the uncomfortable act of optimism, um, which is a, a very foreign concept to my brain. Uh, but as I'm developing, I am considering, look, you know, I mean, we're building season one thinking we're getting season two. We're not, we're not, you know, if it was like Game of Thrones had gotten you over the wall and right to the White Walkers in, in episode seven, season one, um, it would have been shitty. Uh, Joe Russo has a saying that he loves, which is uh, a muscular restraint. And uh, we are practicing muscular restraint to ensure that we are taking our time, taking a breath, not rushing through. We are writing for people. We are trying to write for the smartest person in the room, not the dumbest. And we're trying to make sure that what we come out of the other end with can lead into seasons four, <coughs> five, six, seven, and that we can, you know, maybe see maybe see the the series progress to that point. But I wouldn't say that I'm I'm. So while I'm keeping in mind the sort of uh, the trajectory of the uh, of the story and knowing where it goes. You know, I'm still writing when I'm writing. Like you know, the episode I just finished writing before I left is a whole lot of things that I wanted to do in the book and, and then got cut because of space requirements. Um, and that's just you know stories uh, of these kids. You know, and it doesn't necessarily require me to alter it, considering what we might do in season two. I don't think. Post Iron Fist, where the internet sort of devoured the lead actor for not being prepared enough uh, to do the physicality that was required, um, what did you guys have prepared for your actors to go through? Uh, is there a fight captain? Two weeks, six weeks, a month? Yeah, and they're in, they've been in training. I mean, you can go on to, to Lana and Maria's Instagram and watch them training together fight sequences. I mean, like, you know, and then uh, uh, Ben has been, you know, uh, starving himself because he's an emaciated street urchin. He was already thin as a rail, and I made the mistake of telling him, you know, like, Marcus hasn't had a lot of square meals, and he came back, and I was like, no, dude, eat a sandwich! <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, they're taking it incredibly seriously, and so we have uh, we have a lot of great stunt coordinators and people involved in this and ensuring that, that that comes across, and when you see the pilot and you see what we're doing later, you get it, you get it, when you get it, when you get an eyeful uh, of, of what we're doing here, and you know, and then having Joe and Anthony Russo come into the editing bay with us and help us tweak the action, and, and you know, with their little tricks of trade, it's fucking great. It's really great. Yeah. So there's not going to be any of that. You talk about writing to the smartest person in the room, which is awesome. Like that's the kind of shows that I like to watch too. Do you ever fear that the dumbest person in the room is going to read the movie or the show, sorry, the wrong way, and like maybe take from it, oh, I should go drop acid and join an assassin school? Well, I don't think that. <laughs> that's a level of dumb. I don't think. That, I, don't, I mean, that's yeah, the I extreme, mean, obviously. But that's, but that's, but that, that's the bigger conversation. Is you know, you're asking, do, are people informed by entertainment to go out and reenact these things? And you you know that, that there's no answering that question. I, I, I don't personally believe so. You know, I don't think anybody's gonna. Is there gonna be a whole generation that, that I, it, we're not glamorizing acid? The the acid story is based on a potentially personal story, uh, and it's not a. It's not. It's an indictment. It's not a. It's not a go acid. It's a. That can be really bad times. Um, and so hopefully. The the thing is, is that you're dealing with a kid who is a depressive, and that's really more of the focus of it. It's an honest examination of what it's like to be a depressive, and ultimately what this what this kid is doing is medicating, and he's medicating with drugs, and he is hurting himself with drugs. Um, and if if somebody watches this and comes out the other end thinking that they want to hurt themselves with drugs, I don't think this show is the thing that was necessarily going to light that fuse. Um, but at the end of the day, you have to make your art, and, you know, make it smart, and hopefully. You get it. What was it like seeing Deadly Class on the trains outside the convention center? I haven't seen the trains yet, but when we, when I drove in last night and I was just driving and looking for the streets, and I looked to the left and there was a bus. So Deadly Class was just filling my, my view, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> it's very, it's it's a very strange uh, 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 dimension to have ended up in. This is a strange timeline. Uh, yeah, it's great. It's really fulfilling. I mean, you know, I was down at the image booth where they've got the big banner up on the wall. And, you know, I came to my first Comic-Con 25 years ago as a retailer. And I came to my first Comic-Con as a pro in uh, 1998 when I was an animator and making the first issues of uh, Captain Dingleberry. Uh, uh, sitting at, a, at, a, at a, uh, a table in the very, very back of the hall that a back issue sale uh, company had given us a piece of their table with Captain Dingleberry 1 and 2 and a Captain Dingleberry banner 
and just people walking by and be like, it's a comic that's it's supposed to be funny. It's I don't know satire. Um, and then uh, and then coming you know 20 years later to see that you know it, it puts a smile on the face. But it'll all blow up and, and everything's gonna go wrong anyway in the end. <laughs> She's like, we were so. Yeah. Well, thanks for making fuck you comics because it, they're the punk version of comic books, man. Oh, man. I love Thank them. Thank you. So. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. I say it all the time podcasts, articles, that's my favorite comic. Thanks, dude. I appreciate that, Tony. I really, that's nice to hear. So hopefully we can, you know, make, make, make you love the show too. I think that you will. I think you'll like it. that's it for this week. Be back next episode when I'll have another terrific conversation with another wonderful comics creator. But until then, keep reading your comics. Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners, also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200.